You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. If you hadn't been a musician, what would you have been? I don't know. I, w- I was a thug. I, I, that, that's what Chicago trains you to be. All we ever saw were machine guns and, and stogies and money and gangsters all our life in Chicago. White and black, that's all anybody ever saw. I don't know how, but I thank God when I touched that piano, I knew that's where I, I lived and that's what God wanted me to do. I'm Dr. Oz, and this is the Dr. Oz Podcast. He is one of the greatest music legends of all time. Quincy Jones spoke with me to reveal how he survived a near-fatal brain aneurysm and how music has always saved his life. He's the most nominated Grammy artist of all time, with 76 nominations, and he's won a third of those. He's composed over 50 major motion picture and television scores, the We Are the World recording, and just about everything else from Michael Jackson's Thriller to the score for The Color Purple. What, uh, if you sort of put it all together into your life uh, and you've been through a lot, what, what have been your keys of success, your, of longevity in, for your health? Because if you're not healthy, you can't produce. It's loving what you're doing. True, it's just really loving what you're, what you're involved in. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with your health. And, and what do you do when there are times when it's just not fun? When you're, you know, there, there must be times when you're writing uh, music where it's just not as upbeat. Or do you just make it fun? It is fun. It's always fun. You kidding? <laughs> Anytime you have a chance to create, it's fun. It's always fun. You know, a couple of years ago, we were at a, a meeting, and uh, I saw you, and I said, Quincy, you look completely different than you did a year ago. And you said you'd been dragged over to Europe by your loving family. That's right. And they uh, they fixed you up. What, what, did, what did you do? Well, I went, I, I, I received a gift from the, the, the country of Sweden, uh, which I've been traveling to for years, since 1953. And uh, 
uh, I received a gift from the uh, country of Sweden of uh, six days at the Karolinski Hospital with the Nobel Prize doctors. And it was the most, un- the most unforgettable times of my life, you know. What specifically did they do with you? Did you do a couple of days of tests first? Well, the first thing they said is you have to understand that you are a self-contained emotional machine. And uh, I understood that perfectly. And I've been to Sweden for years, you know, Luther King, Gustav, and the Queen Sylvia. My kids, two of my kids are half Swedish, and I've been going there for, you know, since 1953. And uh, it was an amazing experience. It was all, you know, life-changing experience. Well, what were the big mistakes you were making before you went that you're not making anymore? Of not uh, uh, being concerned about what it takes to be in good health, you know, and what it takes to uh, to uh, make your life last a long time, and uh, like I have a productive, healthy body. <laughs> I can Very hear. Important. I can hear you stretching it. Well, are there specific things you're doing differently now than you did? Five years ago, I mean, do you walk more? Do you pump iron? What do you? you well, everything, you know. It's it's a question of understanding what you eat, you know, because they they made it very clear clear the Nobel doctors from Karolinski Hospital up there is that uh, you are a self-contained emotional machine. It's true, and your mind rules the body. If your heart and your mind is in good shape, you know the rest they can fix, but. Uh, your, your heart and your mind rules the body. Uh, I understand it very clearly. But if you try to reduce that to practice, for the average listener who says, heck, I've known Quincy for decades, if he's doing super well, i got to copy what he's doing. Do you, I mean, you have a routine. Do you get up in the morning and go walk in? Do you, is there something you use to get to sleep at night? I mean, how do you actually put it all together? So- well, you know, there are lot, lots of details, uh, and, and they're not, it's not... Uh, uh, I don't think it's very complex at all. You know, it's just very simple. Uh, uh, right now, I have to be very careful because I had a fall in in, in, uh, in February, and uh, I have to be careful because I uh, strained some of the muscles in my back and so forth. Uh, but it, uh, it's, I'm taking care of it now, and, and you have to... Uh, be on top of every inch of your your body's existence, you know, and I really understand that now. And because uh, I want to be here a long time, because between the, the genome breakthrough, which is color coded, and they're breaking down into protein and genes now, and biotechnology and nanotechnology, which is carbon and hydrogen atoms, uh, the technology is going to be so advanced, you know, that. Uh, it's going to shock us, really, because uh, uh, our, our health is going to be in the hands of a very advanced technology. But a lot of the things that you're doing differently have more to do with the lifestyle changes you made. I mean, better sleep patterns, uh, exercising more wisely, more strict on the food you're putting in your bodies. Absolutely. absolutely. The, the way you eat is very important. So are you going out there and telling your friends, hey, cut that out, that's got trans fats in it? No, I'm not a preacher, but I <laughs> I, I, uh, uh, I hear loud, very loud and clear what they're telling me, you know, deal, deal with alkalines versus foods that uh, give you acidity, deal with alkalines and so forth. Uh, 
how to deal with uh, uh, not as much sugar and deal with uh, stevia, which is a, which is a root, you know, and it replaces the sugar. It's sweet, but it's the root. It doesn't have the, the uh, carbohydrates or the uh, uh, the sweet sweets that uh, even Splenda has, you know. And understand the chemical, the chemical balance of what what a human body is about, you know. It's powerful stuff. It really is. Well, I'm here with uh, Mike Rosen, Mehmet Oz, talking with Quincy Jones, someone who's changed the world for a lot of people, not just in the music we hear, but uh, the way we perceive uh, our own bodies. And w- one of the things that I uh, remember talking to you about early uh, in our uh, dialogue was about your brain aneurysm. You, yes. Yeah, you, you actually perhaps appreciate life a little more than the average person because you were very close to losing it. Tell me what happened then. Well, you know, uh, it, 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 I had a congenital weakness in the main artery of the brain, you know, which is from a, from a, a congenital child. It's a, a part of your DNA, you know. It's, and uh, in 1974, the weakness in the, the main artery of the brain erupted, you know, in the form of an aneurysm, which is equivalent to 16 strokes, you know. And uh, it's pretty dramatic. Did you Very have... dramatic. And uh, uh, I suffered the consequences. So it's one in a hundred that lives through a uh, very aneurysm, which, uh, which happened to me. They said the good news is you live through the operation. When the coma, as I said, it's equivalent to 16 strokes. And uh, they said the good news is you live through it. The bad news is you have another one there, and we have to go in two weeks, uh, two months later, and take out the other one and, and prevent you from having an eruption in the second one. And uh, two times I made it, and that's one, that's one out of 100, two times, you know, so that's two out of 200. And I just feel very blessed that I'm still here. About three to five million people who have aneurysms in the United States, and most folks don't have any symptoms. In your case, one of your aneurysms ruptured in your brain. Exactly. Uh, which is a lethal condition for a lot of folks, uh, and you went through it twice. I, I heard that there was actually a funeral planned for you. Exactly. All in, in, in Europe and every other place, they thought I was dead. So did they have the funeral? I don't, I don't know if they had it or not. I, I didn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's some scary stuff, man. Well, actually, someone who was at the party told me that they had planned this big uh, New Orleans-style funeral for you. They had all these artists coming, a big party. Exactly. And when you heard that uh, that uh, they were having the party, you didn't want to cancel it. Give me a break, you know. <laughs> it was it was very dramatic. It really was. And uh, I just thank God that uh, I was able to com- combat both uh, uh, attacks, you know, and come through it. And uh, it makes you appreciate your life more. Quincy, when you were a child, uh, you had to deal with the painful realization that your your mom was having some emotional challenges. Mm-hmm. And you describe this very nicely in your autobiography, which I think is a must-read for folks who want to understand what you're all about and what you came through. Uh, depression is a big problem, especially in minority communities. It's stigmatized. It's, you know, people don't deal with it uh, in an upfront way. How, how did that experience change you? Well, you know... Uh Living in Chicago, you know, I experienced, you know, having a switchblade uh, through my hand at the age of seven, you know, they pinned me to a fence. So my father came up to 
saved me. You know, a lot of gangs who lived in the biggest ghetto in Chicago during the Depression. It's a rough times, you know, they'd before automatic weapons, but they didn't need automatic weapons because we had slingshots from, made from uh, uh, clothespins and inner tube rubber and and leather from a shoe and steel aggies and so forth. And, I mean, it was it was it was, it was a tough man, tough neighborhood, man. I'm to these days. I'm <laughs> <laughs> give me a break, you know. Chicago didn't play, man. And uh, it was during the depression and so forth. So you know, it was, they didn't even need automatic weapons. You know, makes makes you very aware of what survival is about. There must have been times growing up in Chicago and subsequently in Seattle where you thought you weren't going to make it either. Well, of course you didn't. Of course not. You're absolutely right. You know, it, it was because it was the, the time and everything else. It didn't seem like the the, the future was in your favor. But uh, that's when, in your own mind, you have to develop a philosophy. And I was talking about that today uh, because Ray Charles and I were, were raised after I left Chicago. Uh, after the age of 10 years old, my father worked for the Jones Boys in Chicago as a carpenter and everything else. Now, then after they would run out of Chicago, we went to the Northwest during the war. And uh, you had to develop a philosophy of survival. You had to. You had it. You didn't have any choice, you know. So that that's the time, the way it was. And Ray Charles had just come from Florida. I met him at the age of 14, he was 16, and we didn't have the idols that you have now, role models that serve Michael Jordan's and Oprah Winters and so forth, you know. So we had to develop a philosophy how to survive. We're only just scratching the surface here. We've got a whole lot more to discuss after the break. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. 
had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great tasting all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to symbiotica.com. That's C Y M B I O T I K A. I've got to say, having spent a lot of long nights with Quincy, uh, I don't know where you get your stamina from, but I'm a heart surgeon. I'm used to staying up all night long. I start passing out at dawn, and Quincy just stays up. You just stay all night, up all night, too? I I have to. It's part of my day job. I understand. (laughs) (laughs) I am, too. But, you know, when uh, we were trying to schedule this interview, uh, everyone was saying, we're going to get Quincy at dawn in Los Angeles. And I said, you know, I've known Quincy for a long time. I don't think anyone knows Quincy getting up at dawn. And everyone sort of gave me that wry smile. And they said, he's not going to bed. He'll, he won't. He's going to stay up all night. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> were, you up, were you up all night? Uh, yeah, I had to. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing to keep it up all night long? Oh, a lot of things last night. We went to... Uh, the launching of a uh, Ray Charles and Count Basie record, you know, they they uh, technologically recreated the Basie band background for new Ray Charles record, you know, with Norman Lear's house, and it was very fascinating, you know. Also, Jack Nicholson had a screening of his movie, you know, and I've known Jack. I used to give Jack hamburgers and wine before he was a star, you know. So he's, he's an old friend of mine. Have you ever diagnosed Jack Nicholson? Diagnosed him? Yes. I wouldn't even know how. <laughs> well, he's, he's as wild as I am. <laughs> but he's a great guy. He's a great man. He really is. I, I knew him way before Easy Rider. You know, he's, we, we were we used to hang out together with Warren Beatty and, and Julie Christie and Bob Town and all the people when he first started. Marlon Brando, all of them. Well, just about everyone that you mentioned had to find their own path to... to keep on the top of their game to succeed. And uh, people you know, find their own little uh, tricks and little nuances. I know uh, just before the break you were telling us about how difficult it was growing up in Chicago and then when you moved out to Seattle. Uh, what, were the, what were the things you noticed in that dangerous environment that seemed to work? Uh, and uh, I think there are a lot of folks we know and share in common that somewhere along the line had the epiphany. They finally realized, hey, this is what I've got to do so I can function at full speed. Well, uh, I, there was one code of ethics we had to use, you know, and I mean, Ray Charles thought the same way during those times, because you're talking about the 40s now, and uh, America was a different place then, uh, it's a tough situation, you know, and uh, we had to develop a philosophy that inside, or the inside of us, we had to understand that not one drop of my self-worth depends on your acceptance to me. You could not afford the luxury of uh, a luxury, whatever the weakness, in order to have the uh, exter- external force to, to determine what your identity was about. Because from you in the Northwest, after leaving the biggest black ghetto in the world, uh, during the, depress- the worst depression in America, uh, and we were just these two black kids. I was 14, and Ray Charles was 16. And we did not have the Michael Jordans and the Oprah Winfrey's and all these people to be role models in those days. We had Joe Lewis. I didn't want to be a fighter. And uh, outside of Duke Ellington, basically those were our idols. And we had to just 
have a whole different philosophy about living, you know, and and being positive because in the Northwest, we weren't in the books. There was no TV. It was like it didn't exist, you know. So you had to have a very uh, internal sense of your self-worth. Is there a song that you wrote in those years that sort of captured that? Or Ray Charles, or anybody else for, for that matter, was there sort of an anthem that uh, that you held dear to your heart? Because that's pretty provocative that not one drop of your self-worth would depend on your acceptance of me. Yeah, well, it, it was about that. It was about not ever accepting an external uh, uh, evaluation of who you were or what your identity was about. You couldn't you couldn't afford that because, you know, it, it would, 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 would tend to demean you as a human being. I mean, the the, uh, the armed forces weren't even integrated in those days, you know. So, so you had you had to get you had to get your focus together really tight, you know, to exist as a as a young black person in America. And Ray was the same way too. We we did it together, you know. Now I know of the story of the two of you, and you've told them to me. It's just. It's it's uh, it's incredible, and it actually brings the issue up of how many in that culture, not surprisingly, would use uh, drugs, alcohol, right. and others to hide. I mean, how would you deal with that? Well, you just had to deal with it. But well, one of the problems was that all of our idols were all on drugs, and hmm. uh, you know, from Charlie Parker, all of our idols were on drugs. Now, back then, oh, and it, it, it was a because the essence of black music is very sociological, you know, and the musicology has to stand aside, you know, because it's uh, it's it is sociological, and uh, the the signs of the times of that that the musicians wanted to be at one point the difference between the big band musicians and Louis Armstrong eras were that, that the musicians that, that that followed them coming out of the big bands, you know. Charlie Parker out of Jane McShann's band, Izzy Gillespie out of uh, uh, Cab Calloway's band, et cetera, and then Earl Hines and Billy Eckstein's band, whatever, uh, they were aiming towards becoming artists that didn't have to sing and roll their eyes and entertain people when they when they performed, you know. And that was that was the struggle. Because they, they wanted to just be artists and they had heard about Stravinsky and all of these, the, the, you know, the very serious artists around the world. And I used to watch Charlie Parker at Charlie's Tavern in New York, you know, to listen to Stravinsky and all of the classical musicians, you know. And I said they did not want to be entertainers that had to had to dance and sing and so forth and entertain an audience when they did the music. And music was very revolutionary. And uh, the consequences of being very revolutionary were, were very dangerous because... Uh, they they played the music that was so advanced, you know, they were alienated by an audience. It was too it was too progressive, you know. The modern jazz was too progressive, and uh, the audience couldn't follow it, and and uh, the alienation caused uh, the musicians to sustain themselves. You know, all of them. That's not a justification, but it's a reality. They all got into dope, you know to uh, hopefully keep themselves away from the alienation that they uh, experienced, you know, for dealing with very revolutionary music. Because it's for sure that Miles Dizzy and Max Roach, and I've 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Dolly Parker, uh, the most revolutionary music in the history of American music, you know, and it changed music all over the world. And that's what we were about. That's what we, uh, we I was in between big bands and, and uh, bebop, and that's what my influences were. You know, it was like, and Ray Charles too. Ray Charles played alto sax like Charlie Parker. He sang like uh, uh, Nat Cole and uh, Charles Brown, Charles Brown uh, at the time. And uh, then he eventually went into doing taking gospel music to make it popular music. And he was criticized for it at the time, but he was a revolutionary musician, you know. Yeah, he was hardly criticized, I guess, because they thought it was blasphemous. Quincy, you were speaking a little bit about how much did the drug culture influenced or allowed, maybe allowed uh, some of the uh, the music that was created uh, in the, the 40s in this country, especially in, in black America. Did you ever work with friends who are drugged up, uh, Ray Charles as an example, and try to help them through these crises? Or do they have to sort of well, figure it out themselves? Of helping. It, it was a way of life. You know, it was, you know, it was nothing to discuss. And at that time, everybody was doing it, you know. And especially the revolutionary musicians, you know, I guess they, they fell into that as a crutch, you know, to try to combat, you know, racism and all the other things and so forth. But also uh, to, you can tell the difference in the titles of the songs, you know, and you uh, you can go from cement mixer, putty putty, you know, to uh, open the door rich and all those kinds of things, titles like that, you know. A bop or rebop, all that stuff, to the titles of the bebop people, which were epistrophe and ornithology and so forth and so forth. And they were seeking a much a whole different intellectual kind of outlet, you know. And uh, I remember reading the Koran at 13 years old. I remember reading about dynamics, you know, when I was 13 years old. And uh, uh, Riken therapy, uh, organic accumulators, and so forth. I don't know how we got into that. The life and teachings of the masters, the Far East, and all that stuff. When we were when we were 13 years old, and I don't know how it happened, but that's what it was like in the Northwest, you know, for black musicians. You know, that the curiosity was was on a world basis, you know. And uh, I, I'm I'm happy about it because it, it opened my mind up. And I was fortunate enough to follow through by the age of 18 and 19 to go to Europe, you know, with Lionel Hampton. And uh, that, that turned my life around, totally around. We went to Oslo in 1953 on a truck plane, 27 hours from New York to Oslo. And uh, we, we experienced a whole other way of life, you know. It took us out of just the, the black and white conflict of America to... Armenians and Turks and and, and uh, they had the other part of the world, uh, Cypriots and uh, Greeks, <laughs> the Finns and uh, Swedes and so forth, and the Koreans and Japanese. I mean, they took us out of just one dynamic of black versus white in America. And living in Paris, you know, where they had tremendous respect for what uh, our music was about, uh, it was an amazing revelation for a lot of us, you know. We had a lot of expatriates over there, you know, Kenny Clark and, and Don Bias. And amazing. Quincy, let me ask you a question about something we've discussed earlier, which is uh, about the role of music uh, 
around the world. In particular, you've been an ambassador for peace in many ways through your music. But in many cultures, music is an important part of healing, of staying well. I'm I'm a a Turk, as you know, and in Turkey, uh, music was used uh, even before Islam was there as a tradition that would allow these shamans to heal the sick. Uh, as you travel around the world, you you must see the healing side of music as well. Are you kidding? Of course I do. I mean, right now, now uh, I've never traveled more in my life. You know, I, in the last uh, six months, I've been around the world three times. You know, from Cambodia to Vietnam to Korea to Beijing to Xinjiang, Hong Kong, uh, Shanghai, St. Petersburg to Brazil to South Africa, to Rwanda. We were there for the anniversary of the genocide, to Cairo, Egypt, to Abu Dhabi, to Dubai, to Greece, to Spain. To I mean, I mean that's, that's my, been my life for the last 52 years. And uh, I ran into uh, some very wise musicians when I was young, like, like Ben Webster that said, Young Rod, when you go to each country, listen to the music that people listen to, Eat the food that people listen to and learn 30 or 40 words in every language. And I took that very seriously since I was 19. And I, I, I learned how to speak Croatian, how to speak Turkish, how to speak Greek, how to speak uh, 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 French, Swedish. Well, Quincy, just to give us Japanese, an idea. everything. For the listeners out there, since you've tasted so many different cultures, what are the types of music that you find most provocative from these cultures? Which are the ones you think might be clued into healing? And as are ex- you kidding? Uh, okay, let's start with the roots of Africa. Uh, the African roots, which spawned the, 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 our music here, to Brazil, which is still African's Angolan influences and so forth from slavery. There's an old joke called, some stopped off on the way. <laughs> in the middle <laughs> passage, you know, from West Africa, the Angolans stopped off in, in Salvador and Bahia in, in, in Africa, uh, etc., Portuguese. And uh, it's very, very complex, you know, because uh, uh, I've always felt that there's a very thin line between racism and slavery and, and economics. Very thin line, you know. Because uh, it was about money first, you know. Got a lot more questions to go, but first, let's take a quick break. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. 
When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Quincy, you're telling us about this uh, this wonderful story of music and how it's been a, a foundation of so many cultures and, in fact, the, the, the key to healing in a lot of these cultures. So let's take African music in particular. Uh, th- there are probably healing traditions in Africa that have touched on music. Do you ever sort of dabble with those and figure out you know, what made it, what made it fun for the people listening to that and how it got to Brazil and Indo-American and all that? Well, it's very simple. Uh, the, the, the music from Africa is about life force, and the music of uh, uh, Europe was about artistry and uh, uh, virtuosity and concert music and all that stuff. In Africa, it's a life force, you know, it's a fertility rites, a, a circumcision rites, a, a elephant hunts. It was to facilitate the activities of life. It wasn't about any kind of a concert hall stuff. It was a very functional music that, that was uh, based and imitated, imitated nature, animals, uh, all nature, and so forth. That's why it's so powerful. That's why it's so strong. You know, because it did, it imitated animals, everything. And that's where the, the function of uh, African music and blues and jazz and all those things came from. It was the imitation of life. And uh, in Europe, it got to be a, a very uh, concert music, you know, and uh, virtuosity and all of that stuff. That, that wasn't, it was the total antithesis of that. It was, uh, and that we used it in feel hollows and slavery and so forth for work songs and so forth. It was a, it was a functional music to, to get through life every day. When you first started to play music in the 40s, was your music more of the life force? No, it, it, it had been reinvented then by that time. It had gone through a lot of changes, you know, uh, of invention uh, because, okay, let's, let's, let's assume the bottom line was that Blues and jazz was the greatest cultural contribution that America's ever made to the entire world. Take that for granted, and that's the truth. I mean, the greatest contribution in the world, improvised music, it never happened in the world before. That's why it was so appreciated and and revered and and, uh, emulated by composers like Debussy, Stravinsky, all those people, you know. They 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 want they, they were influenced by jazz ragtime you know, Debussy, because it was a music they'd never heard before it never had, it existed before where you could have to improvise and have the freedom of of the you know chain of uh, association you know and just whatever you feel at the time that 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 never existed before, never. 
And was that, it wasn't an accident that it happened. There, there, a bunch of very creative minds started taking some of this life force music, it would seem, from Africa. Or, or, or did it just happen organically? Did it just re-arise from nothing? It happened, well, it happened for, for many reasons, because you take 22 million people from, away from their country and take them to another country for economic reasons, really. I don't even know whether it's racial or not, because there's a thin blur between racism and, and economics, you know, very thin line there. Uh, it was about money at first, and the Africans and the Dutch and the Portuguese, and all the people involved in that, you know. Uh, I think in the 15th century, the Spanish and the Portuguese went to the Pope, and the Pope, uh, to have the Pope declared American Native, uh, uh, Native Indians to be two-fifths of a human being, you know, so they could find a, a, re, a justification to annihilate the, the people, you know, because the concept of of uh, we discovered America is a, is a joke, you know. <laughs> I mean, it kills me the whole idea of that you know that you can go you can go tell these people that, that they with uh, missionaries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which happen all over the world. That these people are not civilized, and we're going to show them and teach them how to be civilized, which is with another economic decision, you know, because it's a joke. Quincy, let me take you back uh, to your earlier childhood, way before we uh, figured out what you're going to do with your life. Your mom had uh, a mental illness, and she was actually taken away from the home, and you didn't really have a lot of insight on what was going on with that. And and right. how, did, how did you cope with that? She was a very brilliant lady. You know, she knew 12 languages. She could speak and write 12 different languages. She went to Boston University in the 20s, which was unheard of for a black woman in the United States, you know. So she was way ahead of her time. And uh, she had dementia precox, you know, which could have been cured by vitamin D or something like that, but she didn't know that at the time. And, and she was committed to an institution when I was seven years old, in Mantino State Hospital in, in uh, Illinois. And so we, we came up without the benefit of having a mother. In the black community today, I, I, and it's true for whites and blacks and Asians, and just about every, every uh, denomination of humanity, we still don't deal with depression very well. And especially back then, I think there was a, there was a sort of a shame associated with it, which was unfortunate. Uh, did you did you know when she was sick that she was sick? Oh, sure. I mean, uh, you, you're not, you can't identify it, but you knew something was wrong. Of course you did, you know, because of just her uh, actions and so forth. And she was, she was dealing with a very high intellect, you know, with the illness and so forth in a very racist society. And uh, we we didn't understand that then. We had no clue because we were born in the biggest black ghetto in the on the planet during the biggest economic depression in the world, which is in Chicago. You know, that's uh, the biggest black ghetto that exists in America. I mean, they made Harlem and every place else look like a boys town. But and we and that's that's the way it was. There was a gang on every block. You know, they would use an African uh, calls and. Amazing society then, you know, and I remember it very, very well. And uh, eventually, you know, maybe going to the Northwest was the best thing that ever happened to me because it uh, opened up a society for me. We were coming out of the biggest all-black ghetto in America to the only black kids in, in the Northwest, you know, where we were not in the books. It was as though we didn't exist. They didn't have television then. Radio, you had Bueller, you had Rochester, you had Amos Landy, we knew were white, and so forth. And uh, it was like you didn't exist. 
you know, you were the invisible man, were in the words of Ralph Ellison, you know, you were an invisible man or woman. And uh, you had to you had to figure it out, you know. And Ray Charles and I used to talk about that all the time. And we said we have to find a way so we could uh, survive in a society like that. And uh, that's the words. Uh, not one drop of my self worth depends on your acceptance of me. No external definitions of what your identity was about. You couldn't accept that, or you'd die. You really would. And that's made the major very strong. Ray was very strong too. Although, this, despite saying that not one drop of your self-worth would depend on your acceptance of me, people still use drugs quite frequently. And in fact, for a large number of the people who use drugs, depression was probably an underlying issue. I mean, one, one quarter of all human beings, of Americans, who are adult age, have some issues with depression. Have you ever been depressed and felt no. that just... No, no. And you think you... Was, was, yeah. was music your salvation yeah, on absolutely. that? Absolutely. Because music gave you hope. And it gave you that that uh, the whole, all of the hope you needed, you know. And it was uplifting and and inspirational, and gave you a self worth, a feeling of self worth, and everything else that transcended everything. And we were just lucky to find. It. I didn't find it until I was eleven, because so we we were basically raised to be thugs in Chicago, uh, because that's what. The spawning ground of the, of the gangsters in America, white or black, was all in Chicago. Capone, Dillinger, <laughs> you name it, man. So how'd you get hooked into music? Well, I, I came back to when, when I went to Seattle, or to Bremerton, we broke in an armory at, at, in, in, as part of our being thugs and breaking in stores and stealing and all this stuff. And uh, we broke in the armory. For the, we heard they had lemon meringue pie and ice cream. And we ate it up, and we had food fights and so forth. And then we individually ran around the armory and broke in the rest of the rooms. And I broke into one of the supervisor's rooms, Mrs. Ayers, who I knew, uh, right near the army camp, too, because that was during World War Two, And... Uh, I saw a spinet piano, and I almost closed the door, and something told me to go back in there where the spinet piano was in that room. And uh, I went over and touched the keys there. And when I touched those keys, every cell in my body reacted to it. And I knew for the rest of my life that's what I would be doing. As an orchestrator, as an arranger, as a musician, everything. I don't know how, but I thank God... When I touched that piano, I knew that's where I, where I lived, and that's what God wanted me to do. When was the first time uh, that you began to compose music that you thought you actually were pretty good at it? And that might be that your album. starting at 11. You know, I, then I went to school and started to play every instrument in the brass section. I tried clarinet and, and violin, and that didn't work. Uh, then I started the, the percussion and the sousaphone and tuba. B flat baritone horn, French horn, E flat alto trombone, so we could, in the marching band, we could be near the girls and the, <laughs> the majorettes. And then finally the trumpet, you know. And uh, I, I knew that that's what, what my life was. And I, I, I said, thank God every day, then thank you, because this is, this is where I belonged in life. If, if you hadn't been a musician, what would you have been? I don't know. I was a thug. I, that's 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 what we were. That's what Chicago trained you to be. All we ever saw were 
machine guns and, and stogies and money and gangsters all our life in Chicago. White and black, that's all, that's all anybody ever saw. Switchblade knives in my hand, you know, pinned to the wall, ice pick in my temple. Please, it was just, it was no joke, man. They, did, they didn't need automatic weapons. You know, we had slingshots made out of uh, clothespins and, and inner tubes and uh, the leather from a shoe and a, a steel aggie that could mess you up as much as an automatic weapon. Come on. Because you said that blues and jazz was the single biggest contribution to the world uh, that we've made. Is, is the, the, the modern... Uh, music that you hear and you've been involved in creating as therapeutic uh, do you think as jazz and blues was in your era? Yes, started? It's, it's, another, it's another genre, you know, and L.L. Cool told me in 1985 he said, Mr. Jones what do the musicians and singers think about us? I never put it like that before because the, the hip-hoppers are basically uh, and intrinsically uh, connected to the the griots, uh, uh, which are oral historians, and uh, I, I have a lot of respect for that. I worked with about four or five dozen rappers, and they're, they're powerful, powerful uh, uh, tradition. They, a lot of them don't know where they come from. Quincy, what's your legacy? What are you going to remember for? I mean, the, the, a quarter century from now, what's Quincy Jones going to be remembered for? I don't know, man. I, 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 I have a musical legacy. I understand the politics of the world. I'm, I'm just as passionate about my music as I am about my foundation. We joined up with Colin Powell, with America's Promise, with mentoring. Mine is about children of conflict. I've been involved in that all my life. And Harvard, with uh, Jay Winston and Squash It and so forth, we're starting a prize, you know, for the best individual and institution that does the most of peace. I know the world backwards. I feel at home every place on this planet. Well, maybe that's what you may be remembered as our ambassador of peace, bringing music to I all of us. I don't think about that, that aspect of it. I just feel it, and I, I'm, I'm glad that I know Mandela for 34 years and been working with him, doing everything I can to support what they're about before, during, and after the struggle, uh, up to Air Force One to his, his, his uh, inauguration. I uh, just left Rwanda the, the, the anniversary of the, of the genocide with Paul Kagame and Janetta. Uh, Oprah and I gave a, a reception for for the, the President of Rwanda in my home with uh, Don Cheadle. They supplied him with, with uh, high-tech and money people and everything else in order to help them get on their feet, you know. And I feel it, man, from the bottom of my soul. You know, I don't, I don't have to push myself. That this all just natural. I took five uh, gangbangers from South Africa, to, from uh, Los Angeles to South Africa when Mandela asked me to co-host a HIV visit to the Northwest Provence and turned them, they, they got turned around, they became leaders and so forth. You, and you sit one piece by piece, you try to figure it out, you know, and say, well, what can I do, you know? I mean, you're one person, you know, and you say, what can you do? And it's, uh, no, no, no one person can figure it all out, you know. But I've been exposed to it all my life, all my life. I go to Orange Farm, uh, and I, I make the gangbangers and, and Habitat for Humanity. We build 100 homes in the, the, in the Orange Farm. And, and I don't know. You just take, you just go do what you feel, you know, step by step, step by step, you know. And you learn. When we were doing We of the World, we found out 
that it's not just the money. You have to find out how to get the money so it's dispersed, dispersed to the people that really need it, you know. And it's a serious process, you know. There's the bureaucracy and the corruption of, of, of governments all over the world, including this one, you know. And uh, you try to figure out piece by piece. And uh, it's been a long, I've been doing it a long time, you know. And uh, that's what it's called in Powell, and I've got Clinton on my board and so forth. And we help each other out. And please, you know. So, so you just keep trying, man, you know. Well, you are making a difference, and Quincy Jones, you're an uh, inspiration to all of us. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey and right now save over 30 percent on smart metabolic burn at getsmartburn.com the lowest price anywhere that's getsmartburn.com don't delay transform your life with smart metabolic burn from brain md these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration our products are not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.